So this past month at our Discover class, Mark Randall attended and um, he placed his membership with us and so we want to recognize him. We have a picture of Mark there, but he's in this service. Mark, why don't you stand up and we can just say welcome to the church family. Also, so one of the missions that we support through our offerings, we support about a dozen missions and the one we want to focus on for this month is our mission at the University of Florida. It's a Christian campus house. So it's not the most easy environment in which to be a Christian as a major campus like that. So they provide an environment and a community for the students that are at that campus. Among the other things that they do, they have weekly Bible study small groups. They have an English corner where international students can come and practice English and that's how they make a connection with the international students. They have a homeless ministry, so they feed the homeless every week there through the Christian Campus House. They have discipleship and ministry student leader meetings and family and prayer groups, small group meetings, every single week. So they're doing good things, and we'll be hearing more about them throughout this month. So I want you to think right now about the the offering that you contribute here to the Lord through Vera Christian Church and have joy in that because that is making this ministry and this mission possible. Back in 2010, Marie Boswell was a pregnant mother. She went in for an ultrasound. She came out feeling pretty good about her baby, her unborn baby, because in the sonogram that resulted from that ultrasound, he gave her the thumbs up. I think we have a picture of that. Thumbs up, baby. And made me think of some other sonograms. These are actual sonograms. We've got the little friendly wave baby. We've got the peace baby. This is going to be a very compliant child. It gave the peace sign. And then we have uh, the rock and roll baby. That's going to be a problem child. But uh, Bonnie tells me, Bonnie, who is the director of CareNet Pregnancy Center here in town, that when an abortion-minded mother comes in for a sonogram and she sees her child in that sonogram, then she is 80% more likely to have the child. And if father and mother both come in, they're 90% more likely to have the child. Because so an, an ultrasound, as you know, uses sound waves to take a picture of the baby, and the sonogram is the resulting picture. And when parents see that picture, there's something compelling about it, something exciting about the advent of their child. Now, so we're in a new sermon series for this month. It's called Advent. That has to do with the, the beginning of something, like the advent of the personal computer, or the advent of television. Well, this is the advent of the Son of God. And the month of Advent, that's the month leading up to that celebration of Christmas. And what we want to do, we're going to be taking a look at the Old Testament messianic prophecies of the coming Christ child. And I I kind of think of those Old Testament prophecies as sonograms. There are pictures in the Old Testament of the child who was to come building the excitement and the anticipation for the advent of that child. So today we're starting with the prophecy of the virgin birth. And the prophecy of the virgin birth is related to our faith. It's all about faith. And I want to see that in four ways today. Number one, the virgin birth challenges our faith. Challenges our faith. Now I'm going to read a long passage. It comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 34. Just going to put the last verse of that passage up there on the screen for you. But here's what we read. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. 
Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Okay, so the virgin birth is miraculous, it's supernatural. And that's why I say right off the bat, it's going to challenge people as far as faith is concerned. When it comes to the miraculous and the supernatural, they're kind of two extremes that people can go to. One is to think of everything as miraculous. And that's not really accurate. By its very definition, miracles were rare. They're not natural, they're supernatural. I went to, back when I was younger in the ministry, and not as sensitive as I am now. Back in the day, this would be back in Virginia, I went to visit a young mother in the maternity ward, and when I was in there, she showed me her little baby. Look at my little daughter, Pastor Steve. Don't you think, isn't she a miracle? And I said, technically, no. And I, I learned something right there. That there's a time and a place to debate theological terminology, and the maternity ward is not that time and it's not that place. So I understand people want to give credit to God for the good things that are going on in their lives and the gifts that He gives to us. And sometimes the only word we've been taught to use is the word miracle. And so at the risk of insulting all of and offending all of the mothers in here this morning, your child is a blessing from God, but technically not a miracle. Was God involved in that conception and birth? Absolutely. The psalmist says, God knit me together in my mother's womb. Yeah, God is involved, but we call that a provid the providence of God, the provision of God, the providential care of God, according to the natural laws that he has built into the universe. A virgin birth is a miracle. Now, the reason that is important is because if we overuse or misuse that word miraculous, it detracts from and dilutes the power of a true miracle like the virgin birth. The other extreme that we can go to, that people go to, is to have an a priori bias against the supernatural. An a priori is Latin for, it means before the fact. It's a conclusion that people come to before investigating the evidence. And there are religious skeptics who do not believe in the virgin birth simply because they don't believe anything supernatural or miraculous ever happens. The virgin birth, that didn't happen. Why? Because it can't. Well, why can't it? Because it never has. Well, what about the virgin birth of Jesus? That didn't happen. Why? Because it can't. So it's circular reasoning. It's having a closed mind. We want to make sure we keep our minds open and are humble enough to understand that maybe something happened somewhere at some time that we did not know about or that we did not personally experience. C.S. Lewis says, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers. So we don't want to be intellectual slackers. We want to do like Mary. The Bible says Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. She used her thought process. That word means she zeroed in and used logic and reason to figure out what the angel was talking about, and she came to the right conclusion. After all, some of the very people who doubt the virgin birth believe that a man can give birth to a child. How do you understand that? I don't. I don't get that. Number two, 
The virgin birth strengthens our faith. So first one, it's challenging. Number two, the virgin birth strengthens our faith. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now we flipped over to Matthew's account from Luke's account. It's Matthew who helps us to connect this miracle with its Old Testament prophecy. The prophecy comes from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And Isaiah said, the Lord will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this was a prophecy that was made 700 years before Christ. And the prophet says, there's a virgin, she will have a child, not just a child, but a male child. They'll call him Emmanuel, not not that that was his name, but that there was something about him that signified that God is with us now in a way that he had not been with us before. Doesn't that strengthen your faith? Fulfilled prophecy, predictive prophecy that actually came true. Now, liberals try to undermine this like they do everything else. You say, Steve, did you say liberals? I can't believe you're preaching politics right now. Okay, I'm not talking about political liberals. I'm talking about theological liberals. There are theological liberals. And theological skeptics and liberals try to deconstruct the Christian faith by removing the element of the supernatural from the biblical narratives. That's what a liberal does, a theological liberal. says there's nothing miraculous or supernatural in the Bible, and when they come across that in the narrative, they attempt to explain it away. The crossing of the Red Sea, well, that was just low tide, and they waded across. That's a liberal explanation. The resurrection of Jesus, that did not happen literally. It was just people, his followers, remembering Jesus in their hearts and minds. So it was more of a spiritual resurrection. That's what liberals do. And when they look at a prophecy like this one, this one in particular, Isaiah 7.14, the way they attack that prophecy is to say, that word virgin does not mean virgin. It just means a young woman. I'm going to camp out on this for a couple of minutes because I know you, some of you in this Christmas season, you're going to Google this and you're going to come across an article that's skeptical and liberal about the virgin birth and this is what it's going to say. Oh no, that's not what it taught. Matthew was just showing his Christian bias when he said a virgin will be with child. That word, and in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is Alma, Alma, A-L-M-A-H. That word just means a young unmarried woman. So you can see how that would undermine the apologetic value of that miracle. You know what I mean by apologetic value? Apologetics is not 50 ways to say I'm sorry. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. This, is a, this prophecy is a very, has very powerful apologetic value, but not if it just means a young woman. Okay, so there are four basic arguments that I would just place before you very quickly Just not that you'll memorize them, but I want to leave the impression. Number one, the word Alma is used nine times in the Old Testament. Eight out of those nine times, it does mean a young unmarried woman who has never had relations with a man. One out of those nine times, it means a young unmarried woman who has had relations with a man. So there's a little bit of wiggle room for the liberal and the skeptic right there. About one out of nine chances. But that's not the only way we determine what this word Alma should mean. 
The second argument is the word sign. Isaiah the prophet said, this will be a sign to you. The virgin will be with child. Now, a young woman being with child is not really a sign of anything. It's not uncommon. It's not rare. It's not stop the presses. A young woman is with child. But a virgin being with child, that is significant. That is a sign of something. The third argument is the article the. So the word the, T-H-E, is an article. Isaiah did not say a virgin will be with child. He said the virgin will be with child. As if to say there's something special about this particular virgin. And anywhere you go in the world, you ask them, who is the virgin? You say, fill in the blank, the virgin blank. They're not going to say Madonna. They're going to say the virgin Mary, the virgin. And then the fourth and final argument is the word Parthenos. Parthenos. So that's a Greek word. In 100 B.C., there was a group of 70 scholars who got together to interpret the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek language. 100 B.C., 70 Hebrew scholars. They call that translation the what? The Septuagint. The Septuagint for those 70 scholars. They're interpreting the entire Old Testament, so they come to Isaiah. They come to Isaiah 7.14. They must choose a word to translate Alma into Greek. And the word they chose is Parthenos, which means virgin. It does not mean just a young woman. It means virgin. Now, <clears throat> the skeptics would say, oh, Matthew was just showing his Christian bias by referring to the Alma as a virgin. But remember, the Septuagint was translated 100 B.C. What does B.C. stand for? Before Christ. Before Christ had been born. Before Christianity to, could exert any influence whatsoever, these Hebrew scholars, 70 of them, showed what the Jewish understanding of that word Alma was at that time, and it was a virgin. A virgin. This was a virgin birth. It was fulfilled in Christ, and it does strengthen our faith. In 1994, Wang Ming King and his wife Lu were fruit sellers selling their wares at a roadside stall in the southwestern city of Chengdu, China. One busy day, Mr. Wang ran out of change. He went to a neighboring stall to get change for a customer, and when he came back minutes later, his three-year-old daughter, Kai Fang, was nowhere to be found. Mr. Wang and his wife spent the next 25 years searching for her in that city, in the surrounding areas, taking out advertisements in newspapers, and setting up online appeals. They never even moved away from that city in hopes that maybe she would someday return. In 2015, 25 years later, there was a breakthrough. There was a woman all across, all the way across the other side of China who, noticed, who saw online a police sketch of what Kaifeng might look like at that age, the age of 28, and was struck by how much it resembled her. She had a little scar in her forehead, just like Kai Fang did. She reached out and made contact with this mother and this father. They were reunited. They did a test that definitively identified her as their daughter, and they were reunited. What was that test? That was a DNA test. It had eliminated several others who had been surfaced through this process, 
but I identified her. A DNA test has certain markers by which a child can be identified as the child of certain parents. These Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 7.14, I've compared them to sonograms, but they're also like a DNA test. They are markers that God has set up in the Bible so that he can identify this is my son and so that we can identify he is our Savior. The virgin birth strengthens our faith. All right, how else is it related to our faith? The virgin birth inspires our faith, inspires our faith. Luke 1.31, Gabriel continues, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now in Greek mythology, there have been those who were the offspring of the gods and humans. For instance, Hercules was the son of Zeus and Alcmena, half man, half God, but this was not that. This was not that. God, the Hebrew God of the Bible, did not have a corporeal body with which to have relations with humans. He is spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit within the womb of Mary was the incarnation. Now that comes from the Latin and it literally means in flesh. It was the enfleshment of the second person of the Godhead, Christ, the Son, the Word, became Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. 100% God. 100% man. That had to be. That was the only way to fulfill God's plan of redemption. Jesus had to be 100% God in order to live a perfect, sinless life. The life that we should have lived. He lived that for us. And He had to be 100% man, human, in order to die. He died the death that we should have died. In doing both of those things, He accomplished our salvation. Was uniquely positioned to accomplish our salvation. That's the lengths that God was willing to go. No one else could have done that. No one else did do that. All the other founders of the world religions, if you think of them, you think of the great world religions, none of the other founders claimed to be God. None of them claimed to be the Savior. Some of them say that's the way of salvation. They try to point people to what they understand to be the way of salvation. But it was only Jesus who said, I am the way of salvation. I am God in the flesh. Totally unique. Let's go back to China. I have one more China story for you. In 2006, the China Daily reported that two dolphins swallowed pieces of plastic from the edge of their aquarium pool in the northeastern city of Fushun. Attempts to remove the plastic using surgical instruments failed because the dolphin's stomachs contracted in response and no one's arms were long enough to reach down into the dolphin's stomach and pull the plastic out. But someone thought of calling Ba Shishan. Now, Mr. Ba was certified by the Guinness Book of World Records in 2005 as the tallest man in the world at 7 foot 9 inches. His arms are 3 and a half feet long. So several phone calls later, Mr. Ba was on his way from his home in Inner Mongolia. He arrived, 
he reached down into those dolphins' mouths and all the way to their stomach, and he pulled out the plastic, saving their lives, uniquely qualified to save those dolphins. And Jesus Christ is uniquely qualified as God-man for our salvation. Only he could do it, and only he did do it. All right, one more thing here about this prophecy of the virgin birth. The virgin birth enlarges our faith. It enlarges our faith. Even Elizabeth, Gabriel says, your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now, Gabriel was not just telling Mary what was going to happen. It was also an invitation for her to accept her role to play this part in God's plan of redemption. That is shown by her response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now Mary could not have known everything that that would involve for her, although certainly she had an inclination. Same with Joseph. He didn't know everything that this was going to involve, but he would have had an inclination. They would have known that what that would have meant for them and their reputations in their community. They lived in a shame and honor patriarchal society. Mary's friends, they could all look at a calendar. They would all know that she was pregnant before the wedding. And that's going to mean that either her and Joseph had had relations or she had been unfaithful to Joseph. Either way, either way, they were going to be living under that cloud of shame. As were their children. For there were names like, for women like Mary and there were names for children like Jesus. And even her own family did not believe that virgin birth story for most of her life. So this was a great blessing for her, this, this role that she was going to play as the mother of Jesus. She rejoiced in that. It was a great blessing. But at the same time, it was also a great test and a great trial. And we all, all of us, to be a follower of Jesus, we have to come to the place in our lives where we're willing to say the same thing that Mary said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And sometimes when people, they're considering becoming a follower of Christ, they want to negotiate. What's this going to cost me? If I become a disciple, do I have to give up my Sundays? Do I have to give up money? Do I have to give up sex? What am I going to have to give up? And it's good to count the cost, but we don't get to negotiate with God. We don't fully understand what God is going to require of us in the future. We simply have this overarching attitude. Whatever it is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Someone has written, when it comes to following Jesus, the hardest thing to give is in. He is not our consultant He is our Lord. But the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. God is with you and He will strengthen you. Now that's true in two ways. Nothing is impossible with God in the sense of what was going to happen within her, the miracle that was going to take place, but also in sustaining her through the trials and tests of her lives. Now, as we're walking with the Lord, we all have our part to play in God's scheme of redemption. All of us. Paul writes in Colossians, 
God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is being formed in you and in me. We all have our role to play. And we might be a stage. Somebody listening to me right now in this room or online, we might be in that phase of our lives that's very mysterious. And we wonder, why is God doing this in my life? Or why is God allowing this in my life right now? It doesn't make sense. I do not understand. Well, hear the words of Gabriel. Number one, nothing is impossible with God. God can and does have the power to change circumstances in our lives. But also, in the sense that God has the power, He has the presence to be with us and to strengthen us so that we can persevere through the circumstances that we are experiencing. Let's all have this attitude. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said.